0: Thank you so much Deacon Wesley for warmly welcoming those who are live streaming. You are valued. And also thank you so much Lacey, for your lively leading of songs and the songs are meaningful. A very warm welcome everyone out there. And uh, I'm sure you are very you're cozy up in the in the Uh, warmth of your home because uh, out here, at least here, it's raining cats and dogs and I just pray that uh, we keep our attention. Let us look to God first before I begin. Almighty God, wherever we are, may you preside over our hearts and bless us for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. Now as you can read from the title, Guess where I got the idea from? Well, anyone who are most intrigued by bizarre things and happenings would know that there are 29 museums around the world where Ripley's, believe it or not, are located. And the next slide here. right? Uh, I, I, I was welcomed by this, um, this statue, the giant statue on my left. Yeah, And I am suppose you'll be on your left on your screen as well. When uh, I was in sabbatical in uh, Gold Coast, uh, there there is an outlet there. And then you have a cat with an alien eyes, right? And suspected. And how, what do you make out of the, 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 the bottom picture? Perhaps uh, um, a paper mache of a chicken head, yes? But if I were to tell you, if I were to tell you that it is a church in Central Java, would that surprise you? It is a church. And there is a church, and you all have your smart room around. You can actually Google, and, and I was surprised, and uh, yeah, and it is true that it is a church. Yeah. Now this American institution offers almost unbelievable curiosities and story of people and places that are incredibly hard to believe, but undeniably true. It is so bizarre that visitors or readers might even question the claims. Well, this is something that is not new. The bizarre and the true, I mean, as it has happened long before and continue to happen in our present time also. And so on 19th of November, just not too long ago, this is what Pastor Yak Chow, Pastor Yak Chow is our Mandarin uh, pastor. Now, he, the text message read, in our staff group chat. And quote, I would like to thank God for his mercy. This morning I went to visit a friend at her shop with Chen Sing. Chen Sing is Pastor Yak Chiao's younger daughter. Now I stood at the entrance of the shop looking inside. And when I turned my head, I saw Chen Sing lying on the floor at the corridor. Her eyes were open, but she could not respond to my calling. At that time, a gentleman who was waiting outside for his wife buying stuff in the shop came over. He calmly checked her pulse of, and then after about 10 to 15 seconds, Chen Sing came around. And the gentleman asked Chen Sing how she felt, letting her rest on the floor before asking her to sit on a chair. And the gentleman told, told me to take note that Chen Sing was without response for 10 to 15 seconds. and So I saw the gentleman handle the situation so calmly, I asked whether he is in the healthcare industry. He smiled and said he was a lifeguard and had learned first aid. And so out of curiosity, I went to check from the internet and found out that he is actually a hand surgeon. And so three things that Pastor Yachow said he thanked God for. He thanked God for his mercy. First, though Chun Sing had fainted, but according to the doctor, Chun Sing rolled on the floor so she did not suffer injury. Second, God had somehow prepared a doctor to care for Chen-Sing and to help a father who did not know how to respond to the situation. And through this incident, I am reminded that life is not in our hand and our control. So thank God, thank God for His love and mercy. And when I reflected, I do not like the feeling of powerless, don't know what to do. I'm thinking maybe I need to seriously learn first aid skill. But on the other hand, I'm also reminded the pitfall of my sinful nature. I want to be in control. But God, may God have mercy on me, that I will learn to trust in him. Thanks all, Unquote. Wouldn't you consider this a bizarre episode in the life of a father who is caught off guard and feeling totally helpless? I would think so, because when you see your own flesh and blood going through an unexpected episode like this, but somehow unbelievably provided and protected you can only thank God. Can I have the slides off? Thank you. So let's trace the footsteps of Jesus in the passage read earlier in John 5. Now hopefully we can capture the sense, the smell and the sight of what has happened in John 5. But allow me to briefly set in context This scene follows after Jesus had met the Samaritan woman at the well and the healing of the official son in chapter 4, which all take place in Galilee. But now Jesus returns to Jerusalem to attend a Jewish festival. And so it is mentioned that sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. What we know is that some time has lapsed between the Galilee incidents of chapter 4 and the journey back to Jerusalem. Slide on, please. You can see it's from Galilee, is on the north, working his way. Jesus working his way down to the south. Now, Jesus probably would have taken the same route back to Jerusalem via Samaria, a land and its people despised by the Jews. Why? because they are of mixed parentage between Jews and mostly Assyrians when they were conquered in 722 BC. So since then, there are great animosity between the two. You may off the slide now. So you might say that it is a dangerous route to take, although we read simply, as travel from point A to point B. I just wanted to paint a sense of the deliberateness and the dangerous journey undertaken by Jesus. Now, moreover, the distance covered would have taken about four days of walking by modern infrastructure, yeah, or a week if you avoid dangerous zones like the West Bank. And to make it more intentional, Jerusalem is at the top of Mount Zion, and so it takes effort to climb. Just understanding what Jesus and the pilgrims have to go through back then, man, we are so, so at an advantage with modern convenience. Don't you agree? We're approximately four days of walking, perhaps about 130 kilometers, which could take us from Singapore to Yongpeng, famous for their fishbowl, within two hours. And that's where we sometimes have our that's where we sometimes have our stopover en route to our church camp. That gives us some perspective, right? Of how intentional the ancients of old attend celebration service, right? And it's festival time, Yippee! Yay, yay. I'm told that there are three main festivals the Jews celebrate. They are mainly the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Tabernacle. And it could be either one of these festivals Jesus is going to. (coughs) Yet we know (coughs) it is important enough for Jesus to make his way through dangerous territory and make his way up to Jerusalem. A side point. (coughs) Wouldn't it be great for us to come and celebrate? the goodness and the grace of God, where we have modern convenience to do so. So come and celebrate Christmas and New Year's Eve with us, as the situation permits. Now following, we notice from verses 2 to 9, that Jesus made his way to the pool called Bethesda, instead of going directly to the Temple Mount. Slide now, you can see, this is a model of the old city of Jerusalem, which is located in the Israel Museum. So it's all in scale. So you can see on your left, there's a temple mount. That's where the pool of Bethesda is. Right? So, so we might think that, how come Jesus, instead of going to the temple, went to, directly to the pool, probably to clock a few laps before joining the festivities? No lah, of course. That bull called Bethesda, and Bethesda means the house of mercy in Aramaic. Another slide, right? And who better than the house, the son of God, who is full of grace and truth to be in attendance? For grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Grace is a gift we don't deserve. While mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve. It is a pool like no other. See, if you go to Jurong Fishery Port in the wee hours of the morning, you would probably f- smell fishy. Sorry, I meant you would be greeted by the smell of fish in the air. And I remembered staying with my aunt within the estate of Waskel Road. Waskel Road is just off Upper Serangoon Road. An area for rearing pigs. And what would you expect to smell? But the nose pinching odour of pig and pig thighs. And so we would expect what? We would expect to smell chlorine going to the pool, right? But it isn't so at Bethesda. You would be hit by the smell. The smell of what? The smell of sour, stinky, sweaty, unpleasant An unhealthy smell. There were many sick folks there. This could be because the pool was a well known place of healing where God took mercy on the invalids. Then the text tells us that an invalid for 38 years, next slide is one of the many that laid about waiting for supernatural healing if he is quick or fast enough to get into the pool first when there was a stirring of the water. For that's what they believed. But then verse 6 tells us that Jesus knew. In the NIV, it was Jesus learned. But more literally, it is Jesus knew. Jesus knew what? Jesus knew that this invalid who had already been there a long time, and said to him, Do you want to be healed? And so the last time that Jesus knew of anybody is from chapter 4, where the Samaritan woman's past relationships and her current lived-in is not a secret to Jesus. And for Jesus to know or knew that the invalid for 38 years, it would only highly hint of who Jesus is, don't you think so? And if you think so, you would be amongst the many commentators that agree to the divine nature of Jesus, being the God-man or the man-God. And like an Aussie would say, Good you, might." Now, interestingly, all the invalid has to say was yes, but instead gives an explanation not asked for. First, if you have suffered for 38 long years, would not you jump at the slightest suggestion of being healed? Surely an affirmative yes lah. Who can wait another second to be freed from 38 years of debilitating illness? Now often my visit... To pray for the sick would be expectant for an immediate relief from what the sick are were going through. Not many would care to tell me that the nurses aren't attentive to them and their calls for help often met with delayed response from either the doctors, the nurses, medical, social workers or even family members. But often, What is requested, next slide, would be, please pray that I will get well soon. Please pray that I can be immediately relieved. Please pray for speedy recovery. Please pray for instant comfort. What they want, what they request, what is most needed when you are sick, is instant, fast, immediate answers to their problems. And so we want it now, we want it fast, we want it immediate, but could the explanation by the invalid hint of something deeper? Now, the invalid explaining of not being helped into the pool, perhaps could hint of him being resigned to his condition resigned to one's fate when an offer of getting better is suggested. Is this even possible? And so in my tour of duty in prisons, during the mid-70s, when it brought me to the famous or the infamous Changi Prison, so met Michael, who was a lifer. A life sentence is 20 years he was considered for special mention to be released after his sentence had lapsed. Now if you were Michael, how would you feel? What would be your response? Now I'm guessing we can't just wait to see the daylight in the outside world, can't wait to breathe in the fresh air of the outside world, can't wait to be back with the family and friends, right? Michael, however, wanted an extension of his stay inside. Reason? He had spent so many years, he had spent so, so many years, that all he knew and all he had were all met within the walls of Changi Prison. And in the words of Morgan Freeman, who played a convict named Alice Boyd Redding, short for Red, in the movie Shawshank Redemption, who serves a 40-year sentence of the opportunity for parole, I don't know if I want that. I've been here most of my life. So, like Michael or the convict played by Morgan Freeman, it's very possible that the invalid could have felt the same way about himself, his condition, and his environment, hopeless beyond help. So at least, perhaps, with status quo, he doesn't need to take up on the responsibilities expected with being well and be a useful member of society. Meaning, he's got to find a job, he's got to find a roof over uh, his head, he's got to feed his family, making an effort not to live as before, potentially disrupts status quo. And so, do you want to be healed? It's a very penetrating question by Jesus, don't you think? So what's your status quo now? Feeling defeated, thinking that nothing is going right? Losing the love of your life? Relationship meltdown? Failed businesses, Failed studies? Contracting terminal illness? loss of job? And so on and so forth? All these can leave you feeling very defeated. Defeated enough for you to see There's no point in making plans to get back to normalcy. And as if not wanting to hear any further, Jesus initiates. Yes, Jesus initiates. Just as he initiates going to the pool, just as he initiates asking the invalid, (coughs) now he initiates healing, even without the reply of faith by the invalid. Stop giving excuses. And get up, pick up and walk, was what Jesus said to the invalid. And surprisingly, that's what the invalid did. He got up, he took up this man and walked about. While no other offered help to the invalid for the longest time, Jesus came and offers mercy. The very same penetrating question can be asked of you. Do you want to be healed? There are two options that you can take. Either the option is, here is my problem, b- b- but I-, I-, I want, but I want, but I don't have the support. I want, but I don't know if I can. I want, but I'm not smart enough. Leh. I want, but I- I'll start tomorrow, can I, I want and, and I'm, not, I'm not ready. And verse 9 tells us, at once, you have a choice. You have a choice between that or a resounding yes to the question that is asked. Do you want to be healed? And verse 9 tells us, at once the man was healed. He took up his bed, and walk. So we must notice, behind the miracle stands the man of mercy. And after this bizarre healing, it is uncharacteristic to note that instead of rejoicing that a miracle has happened, the Jewish leaders are highly critical that a Sabbath law was breached by the carrying of the roll mat, mentioned as bed, some version. Can you see the absurdity of for appropriating the carrying of the mat for the cured person? The invalid he once cannot move, but now he can get up, take his bed and walk. Isn't this visually far more remarkable than him carrying his mat? The religious leaders were lawful, but graceless, full of law, but empty of grace. Somehow, there isn't such law in the OT, even only added by religious men who amplified or expanded the letter of the law, but not applied the spirit of the law. Perhaps the basis taken from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21, which says, let me read, Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day, which they actually expanded and identified 39 different classifications of work, eight of which dealt with carrying a load. Carrying a mat on the Sabbath, Definitely amounted to carrying a burden or a load. Now, even such small things as a needle, a needle in one's robe, or an artificial tooth in one's mouth were considered to be a burden, and carrying a load was punishable by stoning or death. And so, instead of Pleading guilty as charged, yes, I did carry it, the cured man shifted the blame to Jesus that told him so. And he could see that he did more out of fear than an attempt to justify the act. And from that point on, the focus shifted to Jesus being the lawbreaker instead. So we see (coughs) that all the additions to the Lord of God summed by love God and love others have been misapplied by sabbath observant folks that have apparently caused much confusion and aggression even. And so we see in verse (coughs) 6, Jesus knew the invalid. Jesus initiates to ask, do you want to be healed? Verse 9, Jesus initiates the command, get up, take up, and walk. And notice now in verse 14, it is still Jesus who found him in the temple. So the invalid has walked from Adam Road Hawker Center, would have gotten his nasi lemak, our local delicacy of coconut-infused rice, and teh halia, ginger tea, and walks towards Adam Road, Presbyterian Church. That would be approximately the distance (coughs) that the invalid had moved from the pool of Bethesda to the temple where Jesus found him. Now remember it was festival time. Festival time... Although we think from Adam Road to uh, from Adam Road Hawker Centre to Adam Road Presbyterian Church is short, if it is a festival time in Jerusalem, or for that matter, a service where pre-COVID when we may have service, I've often heard my wives tell me, from here while she was waiting, there can take about half an hour or so. So can you imagine? It's not a short distance. It's not a. it's, it's not. About the the distance that is short But it's about the masses of people there So it takes an effort Yes, it takes an effort So the invalid goes towards the temple now Now two things can happen He either goes to praise God Or get his health status declared fit by the priest So that he could enter the sacred grounds of the temple Now this time Jesus forewarns the healed person, saying, See, you are well. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. So what is obvious is that the man's sin and his conditions are linked. There's nothing indicating what exactly. But however, we must qualify that not all physical sickness are due to sin. And not all sin result in suffering, but in this case, it is. So when the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him, the Jews persecuted Jesus. Why? All because Jesus loves enough, and have compassion enough, and have mercy enough to heal a broken man on the Sabbath? Isn't that what Sabbath is all about, or Sabbath is all about? Taking a passage from Matthew chapter 12, Jesus pointed out the folly of the extreme Pharisee view of the Sabbath by arguing that if it was right to care for an animal on the Sabbath, how much more would it be right to cure a human being? And therefore Matthew chapter 12 says, Therefore it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And so I hope we can agree in this passage that Jesus is both the Lord of mercy (coughs) who offers pardon when we deserve punishment and he's the Lord of the Sabbath doing right when we do wrong. And we see similar renderings of the Christmas narrative so beautifully encapsulated for us in that For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. Now, this verse tells us of what? This verse tells us of God's love, God's Son, God's promises, God's blessing, and of God's mercy through Jesus. And so I picked up three observations for us to ponder and to practice. First, be intentional. It is so tiring yet heartwarming at the same time to see that the migrant workers enjoy their recent outing to the gardens by the bay, says Pastor Lang Yong, one of, and one of my colleagues, and his team of faithful members from church. Next slide. <clears throat> There's another outing plan for the 20th and 20th of December, and they are asking for folks to come along. There's another... To come along, to come along. Yep, yep, right, you can see they are enjoying, yeah. And then the next slide, there's another outing that's planned for, yeah, the Christmas uh, thing uh, from 20 to 23rd. And they're asking for folks to come along, to come along to do what? To come along to befriend, to band together, to boodle together as a bunch of jolly good fellows from Adam Road Presbyterian Church to bring some Christmas cheer to the shut-in migrant workers. How intentional are we to offer help to other people's needs? How has that translated into our relationship with the many needy groups, and which group of people, in your experience, are anxiously waiting for a kind person like you to respond to their need? What can you do individually about one needy person, or maybe two, or even an entire group? What can we do collectively? So will you step up and step out of your status quo? Second, be bold, be bold. Now last week then, amidst a very tense family situation, Pastor Yak went to witness to an almost end of life man whom we understand to be averse to Christianity. Now, Let me tell you that when you come across such situations, you don't know how to make sense of it. You could be putting yourself at risk, or even the other person at risk, because you never know the reaction may cause, may be the cause of death. But amazingly recounted Pastor Yak Chow, he went there, he didn't say much, only to ask, You want prayer? Yes, replied the man. And the next question, do you want to believe in Jesus? Yes, I want to believe in Jesus. That is so amazing, right? It is so amazing, there is a miracle! When you believe, though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. This is a miracle, you know. A person who is averse to Christianity, with much prayer, God opened not only doors, opened his heart for salvation to come in. And so do you really trust that the Lord of mercy to do his miracle, through you and so there is no need, no need to fear." And said, t- "Be holy." <coughs> so a few days ago, Pastor Roger, another one of my colleagues, was in the office and he shared with me this story, and I will share with you. Now many of you, or maybe perhaps main, mainly the youths, would have dined at, or at least heard of, 18 chefs. The founder, Benny Sito, was an addict. So on one occasion, he encountered the most nerve-wracking, brow-sweating, heart racing moment when a straw of heroin stared hard at him. It's not him staring at the heroin, it's a straw staring at him. However, he decided that enough is enough and walked away from it. And the rest, as they say, is history. And now he's happily retired from his business. Will you see no more giving up on your destructive, hedonistic lifestyle however it looks like? And so we end as we begin so you think only Ripley's Believe It or Not records unusual stories of people and places? Here we read in John 5, a bizarre phenomenon of the supernatural over the natural that beats even Ripley's impressive anthology. So my question to you, so in Jesus, do you believe? Let us pray. Lord, it is so humbling to know that you are so intent to show us who you really are, repeatedly through the wonders, the works, and your holy words. Help us not to be fence-sitter, undecided, unsure whether to really believe you or not but in believing, convict us to be, to be intentional, to look out for the needy in our midst, to be bold in our witness to the lost, and to live holy lives for that which is acceptable and pleases you. And therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.